a split second, a child can be taken, vanished into a crowd, never to be seen again. Shopping centres are one of the places where many a child abduction have taken place. The most well-known being the abduction and murder of two-year-old James Bulger, taken by two ten-year-olds, Robert Thompson and John Venables, in Liverpool, England. And this case has an interesting link to the case we will discuss today. Sophia was just eight years old when she was taken and murdered in the middle of the day in a suburban shopping centre, south of Perth, Australia. Hundreds of shoppers were present, but no one saw the violent struggle between Sophia and her killer. Her murder being described as one of the most evil crimes in Western Australian history. This is Sophia's story. Good evening. A Perth family has just begun a brave fight to keep their daughter's killer behind bars. The horrific murder of little Sophia Rodriguez at a Canningvale shopping centre shocked Perth. Now her killer, Dante Arthurs, is just months away from possible parole. Nathan Brooks, Sophia's family and supporters are calling for the public's help to make sure Arthurs stays in jail. Michael, this murder shocked Perth. Sophia Rodriguez Uritea Shu was just eight years old when she was strangled and sexually assaulted in a Canningvale shopping centre toilet in 2006. The then schoolgirl should have been turning 21 this year. Instead, her family and friends are fighting to keep her killer behind bars. They've launched an online petition asking for the public's support. Dante Arthurs was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 13 years. That parole review date is now less than 12 months away. Friends and family are pleading with Attorney General, the Attorney-General not to release her killer. In a statement, John Quigley told Nine News, Sophia's death was one of the most shocking and brutal crimes in recent times. The wishes of Sophia's family will weigh heavily in any decision I might make with regard to this shocking case. And Michael, the online petition on change.org has already gathered more than uh, close to 9,000 signatures. Sophia Rodriguez Uritaya Shu was born November 11th, 1997 to parents Josephine and Gabrielle. She would be the third born of four children, with an older brother and sister and a younger sister. The family lived together in Canningvale, a middle-class suburb south of the capital city of Perth, Western Australia. Canningvale is the perfect neighbourhood to raise a young family. In 2006, and even today, it is considered a very safe area, full of families and a close-knit community. Mother Josephine was a stay-at-home mother, busy raising four children and chasing after puppy Cookie. And Father Gabriel ran the family business, which saw him regularly travelling to Hong Kong for periods of time. June 2006 was one of these occasions, but a large extended family meant that Josephine was never alone with the children. There was always an aunt or uncle or grandparent happy to take some of the children for a day trip into the city. In 2006, Sophia was in the third grade at Mater Christi Catholic Primary School. Teachers and friends would later describe her as being gentle, polite and respectful, with a beautiful smile. Sophia was the happiest spending time with her two best friends, with the three girls regularly making up song and dance skits for their families. On the afternoon of June 26, 2006, 
The children's uncle took the three older shoe children to the Livingston Marketplace shopping centre after school. This is a small shopping centre, not a sprawling multiple-level shopping centre that is the norm today. It was the type of shopping centre that I would be comfortable allowing my own 12 and 9-year-old to wander off on their own and look at toys and books. On this day, though, Sophia was happily skipping ahead, excitedly telling her older siblings and uncles about an Indonesian dance routine that she'd been selected to take part in at school that day. At around 4pm, Sophia tells her uncle she needed to use the bathroom. She would head off on her own while her uncle, 14-year-old brother Gabriel, an 11-year-old sister, wait for her in the main area of the shopping centre. Her uncle watching Sophia until she rounded to the corner that held the bathrooms. Unfortunately, the Shu family would never see Sophia alive again. For reasons that are not clear, the CCTV cameras outside the bathrooms were not in working order on this day. If they were, they would have captured Sophia's last movements and the moment evil would end the life of this happy and beautiful eight-year-old girl. Minutes later, wondering why Sophia had not returned, their uncle sent Sophia's brother Gabriel to look for her. He called Sophia's name into the female bathrooms, but there was no reply. He even tried the male bathroom, but Sophia wasn't there either. Walking past the adjoining disabled bathroom, Gabriel heard a noise inside, and he tried opening the door, but it was locked. A male voice responded, so knowing it wasn't Sophia, Gabriel headed back to his uncle. After five more minutes of waiting, their uncle insisted Gabriel go back to the bathrooms to look for his sister again. While he and Sophia's sister searched the rest of the shopping centre, just in case she had not seen them and had gone looking for them and was elsewhere in the shopping centre. As Gabriel walked towards the bathrooms, he walked past a man who he would later describe as being around 180 centimetres tall, or 5 foot 10, overweight and pale, aged in his early 20s. The man seemed nervous and in a hurry, but the two locked eyes for a moment. Gabriel reached the bathrooms and again called out for Sophia, but there was still no answer. He now noticed how the disabled bathroom door was unlocked. He opened the door, only to see what no one should ever see, let alone a 14-year-old boy. Gabriel discovered the naked body of his little sister, lying propped up in the corner of the bathroom. Gabriel's first instinct was to chase after the men he crossed paths with only moments before, but he was nowhere to be found. So instead he went back to be by his sister's side, to see if there was anything he could do to help. But unfortunately it was too late, Sophia was already dead. The time between her leaving her family to go to the bathroom and Gabriel finding her would have only been ten minutes. Gabriel rushed back to his uncle to tell him what happened and the police were immediately called to the scene. The shopping centre was declared a crime scene and closed for forensic processing. 
what investigators would uncover is considered one of the most evil crimes in Western Australian history. Even the most seasoned investigator would call the case the worst they would encounter in their entire careers. Crime scene investigators would find Sophia deceased and naked, with her school uniform and underwear stuffed in a bin in the bathroom. Both of her legs had been broken from severe twisting, her left arm dislocated. Sophia had been sexually assaulted so brutally that she suffered from a severe vaginal tearing. It is not clear if she was sexually assaulted before or after her death, but her cause of death was due to strangulation. Her killer pressing so hard on her neck that her larynx had been crushed. Again, we are talking about an attack that would have occurred in most likely less than five minutes – For injuries like these to have occurred in such a short period of time, Sophia would have had to have fought back with everything she had. As no witnesses would report hearing cries or screams, it is theorised her killer strangled her first, to muffle any cries and to prevent unwanted attention. Some things leave you guessing. Like, why are yawns contagious? But not MailChimp. MailChimp eliminates guesswork from email marketing by analysing data from billions of emails to offer up personalised recommendations for how to improve your email content and targeting. Guess less and sell more with Intuit MailChimp. Investigators identified several suspects very quickly. One in particular stood out, 21-year-old Dante Wyndham Arthurs who worked part-time at the Livingston Marketplace as a fruit and vegetable packer. He matched the description of the man Gabrielle saw leaving the bathroom area, and he would be placed at the shopping centre on the afternoon of Sophia's murder. Arthur's had a long criminal history of sexual assault against young girls. In 2003, three years before Sophia's murder, Arthurs was arrested for the sexual assault against an eight-year-old girl from Canningvale. Controversially, these charges would be later dropped by the Department of Public Prosecutions due to insufficient evidence and incorrect police interviewing techniques that were used at the time of Arthurs' arrest. And even though all knew at the time that Arthurs was the person responsible for the assault, there was no other option but to allow him to walk free. June 27, 2006, 5am, only 13 hours after Sophia's murder. Police arrived at the home of Dante Arthurs, where he lived with his parents, which was only a few hundred metres from the Livingston marketplace. Here they would find a bag containing latex gloves, handcuffs, a small knife and a rope. Also found were dozens of photos of young girls, Some of these photos would have listed on the back their names, ages and home addresses, along with directions on how to get there. Sophia was not amongst the girls in the photos. Four hours later, Arthurs would be charged with willful murder, two counts of sexual penetration of a child and the deprivation of liberty. So who was Dante Arthurs? If you are like me, you have already started your Christmas shopping. But this year is proving difficult. 
What do you buy for the person who has everything? We all have that person in our lives. A friend, parent, child or partner. That one person who always stumps you at what to buy them. For me, it's my boss. But Wooden Puzzles Uni Dragon solves that elusive secret Santa problem for me. These puzzles are amazing. Each puzzle piece has its own unique shape. We aren't talking about traditional puzzle piece shapes here. They are challenging enough for adults, whilst still being achievable for kids. And they make the perfect present, as each puzzle is packaged in a premium wooden gift box. To choose your puzzle, just visit unidragon.com. That's U-N-I-D-R-A-G-O-N.com. And search through their extensive list of designs. The fairy bird is my personal favourite. And Unidragon are giving listeners to Stolen Lives an exclusive 10% off discount using Stolen at checkout. That's unidragon.com and Stolen at checkout for 10% off to choose your puzzle. Dante Wyndham Arthurs was born August 8, 1984 in Western Australia. Due to his father's work, the family would soon be moved to the United Kingdom, where he would live for most of his childhood, before moving back to Perth with his family in 2001 to complete high school. He had been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome during his adolescence. Asperger's syndrome is now known under the umbrella of autism spectrum disorder and is considered to be high-functioning autism. But for the sake of this episode, and as it is referred this way in media reports, we will continue to refer to it as Asperger's syndrome for this episode. My eldest child has this disorder, as does his father. You don't know by looking at someone that they have Asperger's syndrome, and they can function quite normally. It is different for everyone, but we are going to generalise here. But those with Asperger's tend to struggle with understanding social cues, and they are very impulsive, not considering the consequences of their actions and how they affect others. Actually, empathy is also something that someone with Asperger's would find difficult to understand. But those on the autism spectrum are still incredibly loving and amazing. And given the therapy and the tools to grow with their disorder, they can live normally and they can have functioning, healthy lives. No different to you or me. Not long before moving to Australia in 2001, British police publicly confirmed Arthurs was investigated for sexually assaulting another girl in Bookham, Surrey. He was never charged for this crime. However, somehow again, he dodged evasion. Because for reasons never explained, the identity parade was delayed multiple times and Arthurs was incredibly allowed to leave Britain for Australia before the identity parade could take place. How could that happen? I don't entirely understand. I would assume that if you were a suspect or enough of a person of interest that you needed to take part in one of these identity parades, you would have your passport suspended. But apparently not, and Arthurs was free to arrive in Western Australia in 2001 as a free man.
During his official police interview for Sophia's murder, Arthurs confessed to grabbing Sophia as she left the female bathroom and dragging her into the disabled toilets. He confessed to having penetrated her with his fingers. However, when this occurred, it could not be determined. During the interview, he never gave any indication why he killed Sophia, and he refused to accept responsibility for the crime, although he would say that he understood that he was the person who killed her. As part of the investigation into Sophia's murder, the 2003 sexual assault would also be reopened, and it would be discovered that although the case was dismissed for lack of evidence, the police actually did have the forensic evidence needed for a conviction. Later, the police would be required to publicly apologise to the Shu family, because if they had done their job correctly, Arthurs would have been behind bars, never able to murder their beloved daughter. This is because police have the shorts that Arthurs was wearing at the time of the assault, but for reasons that are not clear then or now, they were never forensically tested. But in 2006, after Sophia's murder, they were, and the victim's blood was found to be present on them. After this, Sophia's family released a statement, quote, Had her killer had been convicted for his earlier crimes, had his name been added to a register for child sex offenders, had Livingston Shopping Centre found out he had a criminal record, Sophia might be alive today, unquote. Good did come out of this, though, because of their frustration at the missed chances of convicting Arthurs early. Sophia's father lobbied for a public sex offender register, and he was successful, the first of its kind in Australian history. And the sex offender register was introduced in Western Australia in 2012. Unfortunately, even in the improbable likelihood that Arthurs is ever released, and I say improbable, not impossible, because doing what we do here on a weekly basis with our podcasts, we are forever astounded at what people get away with and the outcomes that occur. We have realised nothing is impossible. But in the improbable likelihood Arthurs is ever released, he would not be included in this public sex offender register because he conveniently could not remember whether the sexual assault against Sophia occurred before or after death, and it could not be forensically proven either way. In Western Australia, sexual assault after the time of death is not considered a crime. Yeah, that's a thing. I don't understand it either. But because of this, even though he is a child murderer, he is not considered a child sex offender and it would not appear on his criminal record. On July 3rd, 2006, one week after her death, Sophia's funeral would be held on the grounds of her school at the adjoining church, the fittingly named the Chapel of the Innocents. Hundreds of people would be in attendance, including many of her young school friends. Pink and white balloons, her favourite colours, were released in remembrance. Sophia's school, Mater Christi Catholic School, also announced an annual scholarship to be handed out in her memory. (laughs) 
Rumours would quickly spread that Arthur's true identity may be actually Robert Thompson, one of James Bolger's killers. For those who don't know the James Bolger case, and I strongly advise you not to Google, I'm actually pretty open with Onico with the cases we cover on this podcast, but James's is one that is a no-go for me. Out of all the cases, this one is just too much for me. But two-year-old James was a month out from his third birthday. A time for massive personality change in a toddler. Anyone who has children or is around children knows it is such a special time where their personalities change and grow every day. In 1993 at New Strand Shopping Centre in Bottle, James's mother is distracted and little James wanders off. He crosses the path of two 10-year-old boys, Robert Thompson and John Venables, who would lead him out of the shopping centre. They would torture him and murder him. Due to their young ages and the likelihood of rehabilitation, they would be released after only eight years in prison. And given the media hatred towards them, they would be placed in witness protection, given new identities. At the time, there was speculation that Thompson had begun a new life in Australia, to which authorities refused to comment on. However, Western Australia and the Australian Federal Police were quickly to deny these allegations, that Arthurs and Thompson were one and the same person. The British High Commission in Canberra even released a statement to the press reading, quote, there is no connection between the men arrested in Western Australia and the individuals involved in the James Bolger case, unquote. This seemingly quashed the rumours, and they are never mentioned in news articles after this that I could find. In March 2007, Dante Arthurs would initially plead not guilty to all charges willful murder and the deprivation of liberty. The charges of sexual assault, as I mentioned before, were dropped due to the lack of forensic evidence that this occurred prior to death. But it wouldn't be long before the charges would be, unfortunately, downgraded, to which Arthurs would plead guilty to the lesser charge of murder without intent. Now, the downgrade of charges was due to the lack of proof of intent that Arthur's meant to murder Sophia, as opposed to causing her harm and assaulting her. And the concern was in pursuing the willful murder charge, the prosecution would have to prove intent, which they had no evidence for, again causing the risk of Arthur's being found not guilty and walking free. Because of the guilty plea, there was no bench trial and the case would go straight to a sentencing hearing. So on November 7th, 2007, Dante Wyndham Arthurs was sentenced to life in jail for the murder and deprivation of liberty of Sophia. He would need to serve a minimum sentence of only 13 years before being eligible for parole. Now take a seat because be prepared to have your mind blown. Because Arthur's minimum sentence is actually almost double the sentence usually handed down for murder. In 2006 in Western Australia, you could murder someone without intent and only receive a seven-year prison sentence. And let's just say you planned out a murder and prosecution could prove intent. Then the minimum sentence was only 15 years. 
You could literally take someone's life and only give 15 of your own for it. That, I cannot get my head around that. But thankfully, these laws have since changed, due to large part because of this case. New homicide laws with tougher penalties were introduced after Sophia's murder. As of 2008, the minimum sentence is now 10 years for murder, which is seriously still not enough. However, if you committed your murder prior to 2008, the old laws still do apply, hence the sentencing of the Claremont serial killer. He was responsible for one of WA's most callous murders and now child killer Dante Arthurs will be kept behind bars even though he was eligible for parole next week. The now 34-year-old strangled 8-year-old Sofia Rodriguez Uretea Shu in the toilets of a Canningvale shopping centre. Louise Rennie, the parole board recommended he stay behind bars. Michael, an online petition to keep Dante Arthurs behind bars has gathered more than 120,000 signatures over the last year. Sophia Rodriguez Uratea Shu had left her family for just 10 minutes when Dante Arthurs followed her into a toilet block at Canningvale Shopping Centre and strangled her to death. That was June 2006 and next week he's eligible to be released but the parole board has ruled against it. Attorney General John Quigley says he wholeheartedly supports the decision. It's also said to be a relief for Sophia's family who has been notified of the decision, Michael. Arthurs would have been able to apply for parole in 2019. However, the local community were in an uproar. Even with the Shu family considering leaving the state as their grief could not handle being close to Sophia's killer. A public petition was started to not release Arthurs, which would ultimately gain over 120,000 signatures. His parole application was denied and he is eligible to apply for parole again next year in 2022. But it is unlikely Arthurs will ever be released. The release of prisoners from life sentences must be signed by the Attorney-General, and being the crime was so horrific, the current Western Australian Attorney-General, Christian Porter, has publicly stated that it is his opinion that Dante Arthurs should never be released. Unfortunately, though... Sophia's family will need to live through this trauma at least every three years for the rest of Arthur's life. As of 2021, Sophia's father, Gabriel, stated in a rare media interview that he is not angry and holds no blame to the Western Australian police or even Arthur's for what happened to Sophia. Instead, Gabriel states the family chooses to focus on who Sophia was and not what happened to her on June 26, 2006. In their memories, Sophia will forever live as a happy, dancing and singing eight-year-old girl who had her whole life ahead of her. If you have your own thoughts on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss any episode, and join the discussion group to share your ideas and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, and on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. 
If you like what you heard today, please share on your social media of choice and rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. We are now on Patreon, so if you are able, please become a patron for as little as $2 a month for early release, ad-free episodes, and starting this month, exclusive Patreon episodes. This week's episode was researched, written, hosted and producted by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Thank you.